Um, Creed, could you go to the printer? And there's some papers on there. Could you go grab those and bring them to me, please? So our passage today is Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 24. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. And for next week's passage, we're going to be all over the scripture, and my son is going to get a handout. Could you pass those out, one to anybody who wants one? Thank you. And uh, these will be, this arises from chapter 22, verse 12. There was a question asked two weeks ago, and it was one that I was kind of anticipating, and it was a sermon I was already thinking about preaching. But we're going to look at a bunch of different verses from a lot of different places that all talk about the same thing. And my goal next week will be to try to just bring some clarity to how some of the different things we believe work together. Because at first glance, they may seem to conflict with one another. So that is where we are going next week. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So last week, when we looked at verses 1 through 14, we saw a wild and incredible story in Scripture. God told Abraham to kill, to sacrifice, more specifically, the son that he had given in fulfillment of a grand and incredible promise. Abraham went forward in obedience, and the whole time that he went forward, he was confident that God would provide a sacrifice, and he knew that God was able to even raise the dead in order to fulfill that promise. And we saw that Abraham was a man who feared God. We've already seen that, but we see it even more after that statement. So the angel, right before Abraham was about to kill and sacrifice his son Isaac, the angel spoke and said, stop. He said a few more things. We'll look at those a little bit more closely next week. And, and, and then a ram appeared that the Lord sent. And God provided a sacrifice for himself. It was primary, the sacrifice was primarily for himself. And God provided what God wanted. And desire in that moment. And he provided the sacrifice. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. In our passage today, the angel speaks a second time. And he does something. God does something that I haven't seen him do anywhere in Scripture up until this point. And it's one of those passages, again, where the New Testament writers, the author of Hebrews, we'll look at it later, actually explains the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So let's read Genesis chapter 22. We'll begin in verse 15. I'll read to the end of the chapter. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself... I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your enemies, I'm sorry, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother. There's a biblical name for your kid, Buzz. What do you think, Jen? <laughs> Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maka. May the Lord bless the reading and meditation and teaching of His Word today. Let's take a few minutes, read this passage to yourself, um, and uh, we'll... And if you get bored with it and want to go to Hebrews 6.13, by all means, feel free to do so. Hebrews 6.13 to the end of the chapter. That's another one, too. We'll be in today. So, well, Let's do this. Let's conclude um, with the discussion. Um, great insight. Great observations. Thank you all always for sharing. Um, I'm not going to say anything further on the last four or five verses. I've already said everything that I think there is to say there. We'll learn more about Rebecca in, in about three weeks. Okay? But we're really going to focus on Genesis chapter 22, verse 15, and, and to verse 19. And we will also do quite a bit in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to do a little bit in Galatians 3. So let's look at verse 15 and break this down piece by piece. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. All right, so we talked about the oath. We talked about God swearing. God swore by himself. What does that mean? What does that mean? I had to really think through that these last few weeks. What does that mean that God would swear by himself? That's not something we see in the scripture very often. I'm very happy that Hebrews 6 is offered to us as an explanation. Discussion's over. (laughs) Um, So, think back to Genesis chapter 21. Abraham had settled down in the town of Beersheba with his family. He was setting up a life for himself, you know, settling down, preparing to stay for the long haul. Well, the ruler of that territory, his name was Abimelech. And they had already had some previous dealings that didn't go too well. And Abimelech knew that Abraham was a very powerful man. So Abimelech came to Abraham and said, I want to make a treaty with you. I want you to swear to me is what he was saying. I want you to swear that you will treat me good and kind and fair while you're in my land. Abraham said, I'll do that. But Abraham wanted Abimelech to swear also. 
Some of Abimelech's people had taken a well of water that belonged to Abraham, that Abraham and his servants had dug so that they could have water for his family. And Abraham pretty much said, I want you to give it back. And I want you to swear to, to me that, you know, I can live here without you giving me any problems. And the Bible, in, in there at the end of chapter 21, going back and forth between Abraham and Abimelech, it says that they swore an oath and they made a covenant. And it becomes kind of clear that there is a lot of overlap between oath and covenant. And I've begun looking throughout the rest of the Bible at those two words to see how they overlap. And is there anything distinct about an oath that is not included in a covenant? Is there anything that is included in a covenant that is not included in an oath? What's the difference between them? I've got some more work to figure that out. But we know they're very similar and they're possibly the same. I'm not ready to say that yet. But... They did. They made it. They swore an oath. They made a covenant together because they had some measure of the fear of God. And they both wanted God to hold them accountable to their word. They called, when they swore an oath, they called on someone greater than themselves who would, could make things right. If either of them violated the oath and the covenant. They didn't swear by someone less than them. Who could not hold them accountable. But they swore by someone greater than them. For God. When he. Well let me say this. Abraham and Abimelech. They wanted it to be beyond just a. Okay, yeah, I'll let you live there and yeah, I'll be nice to you. They could have just said that. And we kind of say that to uh, We say yes and no to people all the time. But in Genesis chapter 21, it was big. It was important. Abimelech knew that Abraham could destroy him and take over the land for himself if Abraham wanted to. Abraham was powerful enough and wealthy enough to do that. And he had had great military victory years prior to this. And Abraham... He wanted to have a peaceful life for his family. He wanted to have his family have everything they needed. So that was a big, big deal. It was not a light matter. The years ahead and their very existence depended on this conversation they were having to each other. So they didn't just leave it to, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Hey, good deal. But they swore an oath. They swore a covenant. It's similar to writing your signature on a legal document. It's a big deal. We think through that a bit more. I'm going to pay X amount of dollars for this house, and when I sign my name on it, that means I'm really going to do it over the next 20 or 30 years. And if I don't, there's going to be incredible consequences if I don't pay for this house at the schedule that I agreed to pay for it. So an oath is no light matter. Well, God swears an oath here. This is no light matter at all. And God swears by himself. Because there's no one greater by whom he can swear. Let's look at what God swears in verse 17 and 18. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven 
And as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What is an offspring? She must have known what was in my notes. An offspring is your descendants or your children and their children and their children and their children. I am my grandmother's offspring. I am my mother and father's offspring. My children are my offspring or descendants. Yes, it means that you are my offspring. That's right, Eden. So, but who specifically is the offspring? We've talked about this a little bit already. Abraham has Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Isaac's going to marry Rebecca. They're going to have Jacob. And Jacob's going to have 12 boys. And then all those boys, they're going to get married. And they're going to have boys and, and girls and boys and girls and boys and girls. And eventually, Jesus is going to come. And the New Testament talks a lot about this. We, we could go into it. It would take a lot of time. But... The New Testament says that the, that the offspring is Isaac and his children and those physical descendants. It also says that the offspring is those who have had the same faith as Abraham. So if you believe in God the way Abraham did, which is the way we do, then you're a part of Abraham's family. Even if you're a Gentile, even if you're not a physical descendant like Tina said earlier, you're brought into the family of God. So even if you're not one of his great-great-great-great-grandchildren... Like Jesus was. If you believe like he did, you're a part of the family. You are brought in to the family. And it says that in Galatians 3.29 and Galatians 3.16. It says very clearly that some of these promises are referring specifically to Jesus. But there's actually three different ways that they are fulfilled that I have found. Let's do this. Let's turn to Hebrews 6 verse 13. And we're going to learn some more. Y'all, this is, this is technical in, in a sense, but this is so important. What we're getting ready to talk about is one of the things that I am most passionate about. It's page 1,105. So, Eden, can you save those questions for later, darling? Let's do that. Um, so, what... The writer of Hebrews is getting ready to show us. Um, it, it causes us to do church the way that we do it. And it causes us to be on mission. Everyone say mission with me. Mission. All right, it causes us to have a purpose that is above and beyond ourselves. Let me ask you something. Do you have a purpose that is above and beyond yourself? Most of us do, I believe. Most of us do. Even if that's as simple as caring for your cat. You know? That cat needs you and you have responsibility. You are that cat's caretaker. Right? You know? Most of us have animals. I think probably all of us do. You know, that's a small purpose. One of the purposes I had this week, and I have almost every week, is to make sure that I'm ready to preach and to deliver the Word of God to y'all. Because y'all need it, and God has called me and, and Joe and Hunter from time, you know, to, to we give the Word to y'all. 
That, that is one of the purposes that God has placed in our life. He's called us to do it. And you all sit and you receive it and you interact with it. And as you do so, God's purpose is to change you through it. We have purposes. We have goals. We have objectives, don't we? I go to work because I like to make money. Not because I love money, but because I enjoy providing for my family. And if God provides more than I need, then I can be God's blessing to others. And and there's joy in that. And I go to work also, whether that be here or elsewhere. I go also because I enjoy it. There's, There's a lot of purpose. There can be a lot of purpose in the work that we do from day to day. And those works, those things are good. Why is God working? What is God's purpose? You know, it probably seems like a little thing to him to put breath into our lungs every day. And that's not a little thing to me, you, is it? Amen. It's not a little thing. I'm not talking about those today. What's a big thing? What's the big thing? I believe these verses that we just read in Genesis chapter 22 and what we're getting ready to look at in Hebrews 6 is the big thing. What has God up to now? What has God been doing since the creation of the world? I want to tell you that this promise to bless the nations of the earth is being fulfilled in Jesus and it's being fulfilled in the church right now. Right now. And you and I... Regardless of your background or what you're good at and what you're not good at or whether you would ever... What I'm about to say, it doesn't matter if you would ever stand in front of somebody and talk like I do or not. I'm talking to every single one of you, no matter how old or how young you are. God has a purpose for you. He wants to use you to bless the families and the nations of the earth. I'm talking great commission... Go therefore into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. That's a work for the entire church to do together. You have a role. You have a part to play in that. Let's look at Hebrews 6, verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear... He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Let's read it again. I don't really think I need to preach on that, because we know where that came from. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So that we, we've seen how Abraham waited for 25 years, right? And then here we go, 15, 18 years later, whatever it may have been. God's supposed to kill, I mean, I'm sorry, Abraham's supposed to sacrifice the one who was promised. But here he actually, there's like this ultimate fulfillment of him obtaining the promise of his son. Then in verse 16, the writer of Hebrews starts talking about God swearing the oath. Remember, that's important. We don't make oaths and covenants lightly. Verse 16 tells us the purpose of the oath, and it tells us how oaths work just in general for mankind. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, 
And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. In taking an oath amongst men, and y'all think about this with the church family covenant, okay? because this is very relevant to, to our plans. In taking an oath among men, it is always implied that the appeal made is made to one of superior power who is able to punish if the oath is not fulfilled. Now you hear me say that. I want to tell you there are good reasons to leave the church after you've taken the church family or made covenanted with the church family. There's going to be ways to do that. Okay, It's not a marriage covenant. In this oath that God swears, God pledges his truthfulness to the promise that he made. He declares that the event of him fulfilling the promise of him blessing the nations of his offspring possessing the gate of his enemies. It says that all of those things are as certain as the very existence of God. We see the purpose of an oath. We make oaths and covenants in solemn and important matters. Maybe you testify in court. Maybe you make a marriage covenant, church family covenant. You sign on the dotted line somewhere. I'm not saying covenant and oath and contract are the same, but that part of signing is very similar. So although God had made promises and covenants prior to this, this is the first time that a writer of Scripture has mentioned God swearing an oath. These oaths and covenants serve as confirmation. It's more than just, a, okay, yeah, I'll be there. It's a bigger deal than that. It makes clear to everybody involved and all the witnesses that when we make an oath, we understand what we are saying yes to and that we have every intention and every plan of living accordingly. There's a lot that we come to understand about oaths in verse 16. And notice also that the writer of Hebrews just assumes that oaths and covenants are good. There's some verses in Matthew 5 and I believe James 5. You can easily interpret it to mean that it's not wrong to take an oath. And I don't think that's the correct interpretation of those verses. I held to that view for many years, but came out of that view in the past. The writer of Hebrews says very clearly that, or he has this assumption that this is a normal thing. And the writer of Hebrews would have certainly been aware of Jesus' teaching had Jesus forbidden that. I believe we can make a very strong case for that. And some people who don't believe that oaths and covenants are, are for today don't realize that there were a number of times where Paul says, I make an oath. I swear this, I swear that. He calls God as his witness. He puts his own life on the line if he's telling a lie. And if you want those verses, I, I can, would be happy to get those to you. Just let me know. So we get to verse 17. When God decided to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. When God desired... All right, notice. Nobody made God take the oath. It wasn't something he had to do to testify in court. He did it because he wanted to. 
And, and look at the purpose, why he did it. Why did he make an oath? Why did he make this such a big deal right after he provided a sacrifice in Isaac's place? He did it, according to verse 17, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. God made the oath in Genesis chapter 22 after the almost sacrifice of his son Isaac because he wanted to show so convincingly, he wanted to be so persuasive to the heirs of the promise in verse 17, the unchangeable character of his purpose. Have you ever met someone that's very persuasive? I try to be very persuasive. You've probably noticed that about me. A lot of reasons for that. I believe God calls me to that. And I don't try to be persuasive about everything, but I try to do that with the important things. God wanted to be persuasive. God wanted to be so clear. He wanted to convince you. Okay? We all get some things wrong in life, don't we? Well, God wanted to convince Abraham, and I believe He wants to convince all of us, that this is very important. And, it, and he says he wants to do it to the heirs of the promise. Who are the heirs of the promise? It's the offspring. It's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The physical descendants of Israel and the family. And then all the Christians and Jesus also. He wanted to show, he wanted them to know, he wants us to know. That his purpose does not change. The idea of God being immutable has come up today at least twice. That is just a big word meaning he does not change. And I tell you today that this oath was taken about 4,000 years ago and it hasn't changed. So what is the purpose? Let's go back to Genesis 22. We've already read it. But let's look specifically at the content of the oath. Let's look specifically at the content of the promise. Verse 7, well, well, I'll do it like this. First, God is making a really, really big family. Big family. And I'm not talking about like those Trumans, that big family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a family that has more descendants than the number of sand, grains of sand on the seashore or the number of stars in the sky. We saw that in verse 17. Secondly, what is that purpose? God is creating a people who are victorious over their enemies. Look at the end of verse 17. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. God is creating a people who are victorious over their enemy. And I believe the offspring very much is fulfilled in the people, but also in Jesus. And we learned in 1 Corinthians 15 a few months ago... That this was when we first started to meet back in person. But we learned that Jesus... No, it was while we were online. We learned that Jesus is going to conquer all of God's enemies. And that the last enemy to be defeated is death. So this is very much a fulfillment of Jesus. So God is making a huge family. He's creating a people who are victorious over their enemies. And the third thing, and this is where we're... I believe this is the most important thing for today... God's purpose is to bless all the nations of the earth. All the nations. All the nations. All the people groups. I'm not just talking about everyone in Botswana. I'm talking about several thousand tribes of people that all speak a different language. 
Those tribes are nations according to the Bible. As far as political nations, there's, I believe there's like 190 some nations in the earth. But what the research shows is that the word nations or ethnicities, which is one of the words in the New Testament, the ethne, there's over 16,000 of them. And these are different languages. These are different cultures. And some of these groups only have 50 people in them. And then you've got Americans where there's 300 and I think 30 some million of us. But then, you know, the Americans are scattered all over the nation as well. And of course, some people are a part of multiple groups and things like that. But it is God's purpose to bless all the people groups, all the families, all the nations, every language. That's why my friend a few months ago, but they live on the other side of the planet. And I think it was late last year. Some of the people that they, they're working on the Old Testament, but some of the people they're working with finish the New Testament. And so there's a group of people that have existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They have a culture. I can tell you who they are. I'm not going to for security purposes for their sake. But they're people you've heard of in the news. And there's tens of thousands of them, if not hundreds of them. And they've existed for generations and hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, and they've never had the New Testament. But you know what? God wants to bless them with His Son, Jesus. God wants to bless them with His Son, Jesus. And wouldn't you think it would be easier to tell other people about Jesus if you had a Bible? See, before having a Bible, they tell stories and they memorize them and stuff like that. And other people from other places can teach them. And then they can learn those things and teach others. But if you've got a book, you can study yourself. Let me tell you, that brings a lot of glory to God. And that makes it so much easier to preach the gospel to sinners who are on their way to hell. Who God wants to save. And who God will save. Y'all, His purpose today is to continue to bless the nations of the earth. His purpose is today is that where there's people where no one believes in Jesus, He wants to bless them with Jesus and the news about Jesus. The word good news is gospel, right? Gospel means good news. I want to look in Galatians 3 quickly. The Bible actually says, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. This is one of those wonderful times again. The New Testament interprets the Old Testament. And this promise, this oath, this covenant was God preaching the gospel. Just like me saying, you're a sinner, you violated the law of God. Come to Jesus, believe in Him. He died, He rose again for you so that you could be saved and go to heaven. Just like I say that, just like you say that at times, God preached that to Abraham when he says you will bless all the nations of the earth. So Galatians 3, verse 7 and 8. I'm wrapping up quick, y'all. Know then that it is... Galatians 3, 7 and 8. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying... 
In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Do you see that there at the end of verse 8? It's a direct quotation from this promise that has been given multiple times in Genesis 12 through Genesis 22. Do you see how the whole story of the Bible is affected by this promise in Genesis 12? And I told, I, I mentioned that earlier this year when we started. I didn't belabor the point then because I knew we were going to see it over and over and over again. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Now I turn to Revelation chapter 7. And this is our last passage. And thank y'all for turning. Thank you for doing the work to find it. Like, like I believe that extra work of y'all flipping the pages and the time it takes helps us remember this stuff better. It is so important to see it, not just to hear it. Uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. This is a picture of eternity. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Where do you think that multitude's from? Every nation. That's what it says, right? So, uh, didn't God fulfill the promise to Abraham and Sarah about Isaac? Our God will fulfill this promise in Revelation 7. It's going to happen. Whether we decide to participate in it or not, God will fulfill it. I want to invite you to participate in it. Let's read this a little bit more. He looked, he saw, and, and this is the Apostle John seeing a vision of the future. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number. Hey, we've heard that before from every nation. We've heard that before from all tribes and peoples and languages. That's the people group idea we looked at a moment ago. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. And what are they doing? They're worshiping in verse 10. And there's a dozen other passages in the book of Revelation that we could read that sound almost exactly like this. But verse 10, they were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who does salvation belong to? Who is it that saves? It is God and God alone. You don't save yourself. You need God. Your neighbor, your lost family member, they don't save themselves. They need God. And they specifically must have Jesus. What do I want us to take away from this today? Several things. I want you to know that blessing comes in the midst of sacrifice. Think about what Abraham had to do. He had to let go of his son, but then he received the blessing. Then he received the blessing. Jennifer and I have had times in our life where we just felt like God wanted us to give something to somebody. And you look and you crunch the numbers and you think, hmm. You know, or you think maybe it's not money, maybe it's something else that someone needs, maybe it's a physical object. You're like, yeah, I really like that thing. Whenever we have done that, <coughs> blessing has come in the midst of sacrifice. Some of you are in certain situations in your life and you're denying yourself. Your life could be easier than what it is today. But you're denying yourself. You're choosing a road less traveled. You're making a sacrifice. Let me tell you, blessing comes in the midst of that sacrifice. And that blessing takes many different forms. 
I want us to live our lives like Abraham did. And I want you to know that blessing comes in the midst of sacrifice. And I want you to lay your life down as a living sacrifice. And I don't want you to be stingy, but I want you to be generous. And I want you to share. And anything the Lord puts on your heart, don't be afraid, but run right into it. And I'm talking about stuff here in the nitty gritty of this week. And I'm also talking about stuff in the big picture because I think somebody from this church in the years ahead is going to be sent out and is going to go far, far away to do a gospel work somewhere. And it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be wonderful. Blessing comes in the midst of sacrifice. I want us to lay down our life as a living sacrifice. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave up his life. And he received so much. Let's pray, church.